0: Just now, when I rang the bell to end the sitting, uh, someone came up to me and said uh, she had a question. And she said, uh, You know, I've been sitting now and it's uncomfortable and I don't, you know, don't, it's hard to sit. And you know, what's the point? What's the point? And I don't really get that. I don't get what the point of why should I sit here? It's so boring. Anyone else have that (laughs) thought arise at different times? (laughs) And I just said, well, maybe I'll um, address that tonight. Um, But the whole, that's the, you know, what's the point is the whole of our questioning. It's the whole of our practice. It's the whole of... You know, why are we even here? What's the point? <laughs> why is any of this even happening? How does any of this show up? You know, these forms and colors and shapes and sounds and uh, 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 feelings in the body, sensation. How, what? What's the point? It's a great question. You know, and it's one that spiritual... Investigation and spiritual inquiry is attempting to answer. I don't know if that's the right word. I don't know if we're trying to answer it. But maybe um, shed some light on that question in some way. So, So that maybe ultimately the question dissolves. We don't ask the question anymore. Something like that. But probably some people who are here for the first time, some people who are on retreat for the first time, some people who are meditating for the first time might have that question, wonder about that. It's a legitimate question. People who have been sitting for longer periods of time, who have been on the path, might be asking that question. Comes up many different times for us. What am I doing this for? What is all this about? That question can be addressed uh, in many different ways, many different angles. And one of the ways that I'd like to point to that tonight is the way we the way I started this morning when I was talking about the walking meditation. And I was talking about how, you know, when we walk, we're simply walking. But in the walking itself, it's, it's very simple. There's, there's not much to it. Or if we're sitting, like sitting here in the room, sitting on the cushion, the chair, the bench, we're just sitting. You know, in itself, we're just sitting. There, there's not, not much to it. But then, for some reason, and this is what, you know, we re- what we're really giving attention to, is like, what keeps that activity of simply sitting or simply walking, standing, what keeps it from being simple? Why does it get to be difficult for us or challenging in some way or any activity are all the activities that make up our life because we're just engaged as Catherine was talking about today you know there's these six experiences the five senses and our thoughts about experience or images about experience thoughts and images mental activity the sixth experience so so yet our our experience can often feel very complicated or challenging or distressing or burdened, uh, confused. you know uh, Often our experience can have that kind of um, tone or color to it. And so the Buddhist teachings are very much about understanding this. You know that experience in itself, when it's stripped down in kind of a bare way, in a pristine way, it's actually very simple and, and perhaps in some ways quite beautiful or delightful, joyful. Looking at a flower, smelling a flower, seeing a bird fly through the sky, seeing the wind blow the grass or the, the leaves on the tree, and feeling a sensation in our body. Just the fact that we can know our sensations in our body, that kind of miracle of consciousness itself, that we are even here, that we're awake, that we have the capacity to know our experience. There can be something you know, quite delightful in that recognition and that knowing. But yet our experience becomes so much more complicated than that. You know, we come to a retreat, we have these basic forms, basic forms that we practice in the sitting, the walking, the standing, the lying down, and the simple activities that we do through the day. And the form is set up in such a way, it is created in a very simple way so that we can see what makes it so complicated. Because we're taking away the usual distractions, the usual wow. stimulations, And then we're left with ourselves, we're left with our mind. So the instructions generally are, sit and watch your mind. Walk and watch your mind. you're standing, watch your mind. Because the mind is what we need to pay attention to. The mind is the source of our problems, if you haven't already discovered that. It doesn't take... Um, you know, a rocket scientist to understand that. This is from um, the Buddha, from the Dhammapada, one of the um, short discourses of the Buddha. This one's translated from the Pali by Gil Fronsdale, one one of our teacher's colleagues. All experience is preceded by the mind, led by the mind, made by the mind. Speak or act with a corrupted mind, and suffering follows as the wagon wheel follows the hoof of the ox. All experience is preceded by mind, led by mind, made by mind. Speak or act with a peaceful mind, and happiness follows like a never-departing shadow. So it's not about our speech or our actions, ultimately. It's about what's coloring our mind, what is, in a way, we I might say, overlaying the mind on top of our experience when we're sitting and we're walking and we're eating and we're washing the dishes and bathing. What's overla- overlaying on top of our experience, which we usually talk about as thoughts or images, or uh, there's this wonderful word in the teachings of, in, uh, I think it's Pali, I get Pali in Sanskrit mixed up, but it's papancha. Papancha means the proliferation of our mind, the way our mind goes on and on and on and on just from one thought to the next thought to the next thought and we build up this whole story about reality about ourselves, about others, about our lives, about the world and that becomes our reality and we get far away far away from the simplicity of this present moment of our feet touching the ground or the sound of a bird right at our ear feeling the vibration of the bird song in our ear you know, that subtlety, that sensitivity, or the smell—the smells as they come through the nostrils and 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 make an impact on our on our senses and our emotions and our feelings—and we we have a response to the smell. This this kind of bare reality. This uh, little um, fable was passed on to me, which I think will prove. My point in some way about this papancha, it really makes me laugh, so I might kind of crack up in the middle of it, but um, I don't know if I can even read it without laughing, but I'll try. (laughs) A woman wants some potatoes for the meal she is cooking, so she sends her husband to the marketplace to buy potatoes. As he walks out the door, she calls after him, ''Be sure and get a good price.'' So all the way to the marketplace, the man is thinking about potatoes and what he'll have to pay. If he buys the very best potatoes, he knows he'll have to pay more than if he buys lesser quality potatoes. On the other hand, the lesser quality potatoes are just that, not so good. In fact, he knows he'll have to be very careful in buying other than top price potatoes because the seller might try to stick him with a bad potato, even a rotten potato. When he thinks of someone cheating him by giving him a rotten potato, he gets really mad. "'Why do people have to be so greedy as to stick me with a rotten potato?' he thinks." Just at this point, he reaches the stall of the potato seller and screams at him, you can keep your rotten potatoes, and walks off. <laughs> Talk about generating your own reality. Where are the rotten potatoes? know, they're just in his own mind. He created a whole reality that this seller is going to have rotten potatoes. And by the time he actually wants to go get the potatoes, he's already convinced that the guy's going to stick him. So he walks off. He never even gets the potatoes. (sighs) This is our dilemma. There's, There's a whole underlying reality there that's not even being seen. I mean, the man was walking to the marketplace. What about all those experiences that were happening while he was walking to the marketplace? But completely caught up in this whole story that generated all these conditions. Who knows what happened when he went back home? I mean, who knows what the wife had to say about that? You know, it just, it just generates, doesn't it? It just generates more <coughs> conditions. The whole reality just gets set, set, set off. You know, like when you throw a stone in the pond and the ripples just go out and go out and go out. In some ways, those thoughts in our mind, those strong thoughts, those, those uh, thoughts that have charges, uh, thoughts of the of greed and of of hate or aversion and confusion those are they they have ripples that go out and they color or give a uh, they filter our re- our experience just like if we were wearing colored glasses like gray sunglasses or or Sometimes people wear blue sunglasses or, you know, then, it, then the whole reality is colored by that lens. So we're beginning to investigate that here. You know, we're just starting to investigate that here. The difference between when we're just sitting in presence, and this is what we began today with, with another person, sitting across with another person, and what happens... What gets generated, what gets triggered, or what doesn't get triggered, you know, when we're just sitting there? And, and in a way, sometimes I think that reality is, is almost like this clear mirror in itself. It's just a mirror, and then it's just reflecting everything back to me. I get to see myself everywhere by my reactions, what, 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 either reactions or ways I get moved by the experience that's coming, that's here in my present moment. What's happening? You know, it's all, there's so much going on all the time. And are we present for it? Are we here for it? Do we have the capacity for some conscious awareness, conscious attention? about what's happening rather than always thinking about it, having, having stories about it, or not even being present so that we're just lost in some kind of story of the past and we're not even here, or we're caught up in some kind of fantasy or plan about the future and we've completely lost touch with where we are here. And that's why I think these, these practices that we've been given through the Buddhist teachings are really so profound. This, this practice of mindfulness, this returning back, turning, returning back here and all the different supports for us to help us return back so that we can actually be in contact with experience here as it is, as it's manifesting in this moment, not the last moments or the future moments, but here. So we have this primary support, one of the primary supports that we work with in the practice, which is this grounding, grounding into the body. Actually, because the body is this immediate experience, the body is happening now. The sensations, the feelings, the different, uh, the pains and the uh, aches and the tensions and the feelings, the emotions, the thoughts, the images, the projections, all that's all going on. And that's what we call the totality of our experience. And it happens in the body and the mind And because we often get so lost in our stories, in the papancha, in the reality that we're generating, we can lose touch with the immediacy of the mental activity, even that's happening in the moment. The thoughts are happening in the moment, but we get so identified with the thoughts that we take them to be real and then we lose the fact that we're here in the present moment. So, by actually coming back down into the body, this gives us something. It's we can, yes, I am here. I, I, I have a body. My body exists. It's something very tangible. The sensation when I have a pain in my knee or a pain in my back, even though I don't like it, at least it's, I'm here because pain is an attention getter the pain pain in our body calls us here now it wants attention and it's very hard to drift off it's hard to get lost when we have pain so sometimes we can if we if we have the capacity we can hold hold our pain in a way that it actually helps us stay here when we can get out of the struggle of it and our our dislike of it so much and then we get caught in that. But if we can just somehow come into contact with that, we are here. There is an immediacy, a presence. So the body... This body, so we can ground ourselves through the sensations, whether it's physical sensations of the pain, of the pain in the joints and the muscles and the bones and all of that, or whether it's sensations just of um, like coolness or, or, or heat or energy or vibrations, or we might just feel ourselves sitting and the pressure of our bum on the seat, and that pressure and the density and the hardness, or just the feel of our hands. This brings us back. And these are very helpful practices. They're practices that I use every day, every day, many, 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 many times through the day, just to keep my attention here, so that I'm not drifting off or getting lost, getting caught up in all of my stories that I want to proliferate about who I am, who other people are, about this whole world that I live in. How can I just stay here? Maybe I'll think about those things, but at least I know that I'm thinking about those things. I'm not lost sometimes, most of the time. So these practices, of, this practice of grounding back into the body, so walking, Walking so, this walking practice of feeling my feet on the ground. Because I've been doing this for so many years now, 30 years of this kind of practice, when I walk, I feel my feet on the ground. There's actually a a, a contact, a, a contact with awareness and the sensations in my body as I walk. I have this kind of a habitual or conditioned response through my practice that now I'm able to feel myself on the earth. And I use that. It's like I use that as support in my practice. Or feeling my arms, feeling my hands, feeling my breath. Feeling the breath flowing in and out, the air element coming in and going out. Feeling the movement, the expansion, the contraction of my body it gives me a sense of here. I'm here. Here-ness, immediacy, contact. I know where I am. So that strong tendency of mind and want to pull me away into these imaginary realities, this papancha, that has no inherent substance or reality. It's completely made up. And then come back here. Catherine's been doing this a lot with us today. Big breath out. You know, and we land, landing. We land here. So these aren't just practices that we do when we come to a meditation retreat, but hopefully these are practices that we learn. And they have an impact on us, and we take them with us to help us navigate, no, nego, uh, negotiate the very challenging and difficult life that we live, that we live in relationship, in relationship with ourselves, in relationship with others. And so this primary practice of support. Support. So the support for consciousness to be here by making contact with the body. This very tangible object with our breath, body, breath. Body and breath, actually, we we discriminate between those two, but the truth is it's kind of hard to find where the breath ends and the body begins. Right? I mean, we talk about them as if they're two separate things, but the breath is, is the body, this body of breath, or this breath of the body keeping us alive, vital, a sense of vitality, keeping us awake, conscious, so that we don't fall asleep, or we're not living our life asleep in this dullness, in this haze, in this trance, trance of our imaginary mind, imaginary reality. And so we talk about, in the practice, we talk about waking up. You know, this is a metaphor that's used quite a lot, this waking up. We wake up. And what do we wake up from? All the different spiritual traditions, Buddhism and Hinduism and Taoism and all these, they talk about waking up. We wake up from the dream. We wake up from the dream. And this dream, this dream of our own mind, the dream of the way that we generate, we create this reality, and then believe it to be true and then somehow think that that this world becomes through our through our imaginings and our ideas we project some kind of a very chaotic threatening dangerous world out there that somehow we need to protect ourselves from And we can become very, we can feel very uh, scared, very frightened, uh, very vulnerable, very, very um, uh, concerned about going out into the world as if it's something out there. You know, I'm over here and the world is out there. And we can create this dualistic, this very separate kind of view me and Them or me and other. And certainly there's some truth to that. You know, there is, there is a, there can, there seemingly can be kind of a threat or a sense of danger. And we are uh, vulnerable to being hurt or being killed. You know, I mean, that's a reality. That's not something made up, it's not a fiction. In the, in the truths of the Buddha, one of the, the first noble truths is that there is suffering in this life. There is birth, there is aging, there is sickness, and there is death. That is true. But the whole of the Buddha's teachings is about being free of the suffering because of that truth. We do not have to suffer even though that is true. Finding some kind of release from our fear and our agitation and our worry and our restlessness so that we're not living in a way that we're in a constant um, pattern of protecting ourselves out of fear because we're not seeing things clearly. And it's a huge teaching. It's a huge teaching. It's a huge exploration and investigation but it's so we really want to look into how we're actually creating that kind of idea that we are this solid, separate, isolated being that has to protect ourselves from this threatening world. That's a very, that is, our, that is the view of the, we call it the egoic view, or the view of this sense of self of who I take myself to be. And there's a possibility as we relax, as we open, and we start to see more clearly, our perception starts to be cleansed. We start to have a whole different sense of what this world, what what this life, what this reality is really all about. And we're just starting to touch on that. We just started to begin, we begin to explore that. But the truth is we are vulnerable, and we've, many of us have felt that today. We started to feel the vulnerability as we start to open up, this beginning, this beginning of opening to the other, this other that we could perceive as somewhat threatening or you know scary in some way. And we begin to sit across from somebody and we take some breaths and we relax and we begin to take a look and we begin to feel and begin to sense what's it like. And begin to know, to know what, what kinds of habits and what kind of patterns start to arise in the face of this experience with the other. And all of this becomes a, a, a food for our fertilizer for our investigation. Nourishment for this investigation. And how we create this world of self and other which can feel so scary and so threatening. As an ego, as a self, we since we feel this vulnerability, we can feel a kind of insecurity, a kind of a... Uh, a groundlessness in our being. And we can feel like there really isn't any ground to stand on. We don't really know where to rest, where to take refuge, where where we can go in ourselves. And we can feel this fragility and this vulnerability. And we know in truth that anything could happen at any moment. Because that is the truth of this world. The truth the Buddha speaks about, the truth of impermanence or anicca in uh, Pali. That anything can happen at any moment, this truth of impermanence, of change, that everything's in transition every moment. And because we know that, even though we may not live in a way that we acknowledge that truth, we feel the insecurity, this uncertainty, as we move, as we walk into this unknown experience in the next moment, we don't know what's going to happen in the next moment. But we want to cover this up somehow. We don't want to live with this truth because it's a, it just when we, when we acknowledge it, we, we, you may feel it right now, there's a certain kind of insecurity. Yeah, it is true, I don't know what's going to happen in the next moment. And there's ways that we can then start constructing and building solid structures in our mind and hold on to the things that are important to us in our life as a way of kind of building this safe and secure environment all around us. It gives us some sense that there is some ground, there is security. But we can also feel how we start to hold on. We hold on tightly, whether it's to our... Uh, our houses, or our families, or our jobs, or our money, or our bodies, our health, our, our, our uh, we don't want to get older, uh, stop the aging process, or whatever. So we can see how we, we want to hold on. We want to hold on tightly. And that, and that holding, we can feel how that holding is, is painful, When we start to become more sensitive and we feel our experience a little more, we can feel that contraction and that tightness and the tension, and we can feel the stress of this holding on to the things of our our life. And when we come to spiritual practice, one of the things we want to start investigating is the way that we actually hold on and why we hold on. And then, when we do that, we, we can start to let ourselves feel and start to come into some of that vulnerability, the ways that we feel this insecurity or this fragility in ourselves and 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 with the awareness and some spaciousness, we can allow that to come into consciousness. We don't have to push it away. We don't have to reject it or resist it as much. We can say, "Let me feel what's underlying." What's here? What's actually here? As we, we, we ask today in the inquiry, tell me what's here for you. What's here? We start taking away the layers of our habitual patterns, ways that we hold ourselves together and hold everything together so we feel the sense of security. And we start to breathe a little bit more and let go a little bit more and trust a little bit more and start to sense what's here? What's here for you? What's here for me? As we breathe into all of this. The Buddha's teaching says nothing whatsoever is worth holding on to nothing whatsoever is worth clinging to. This is the fundamental or the pith teaching of the Buddha. Nothing whatsoever is worth holding onto, And it's the holding itself that gives rise to our distress, our suffering, or we call it dukkha, dukkha in Pali, And so anyone who comes to a spiritual path has some kind of sense of there must be a way to feel more at ease. There must be a way to feel more contentment. There must be a way. There's there's an inner knowing. There's an inner recognition, an inner movement towards this happiness, towards this contentment. But we just don't know where to look. Generally, we don't really know where to go, and we get kind of confused and kind of lost, and yet, yet the intention is very sincere often. It's very wholehearted. We, we, we have a sense that there is a deeper happiness. There is the possibility for us as human beings, for me as an individual, for human beings. And it, it seems that all beings want to be happy. All beings want happiness. And it seems that our, our activity, all forms of our activity, is some search for this happiness. And at first we are looking towards the sensual pleasures. We, we can look towards the, the things that make us feel good, that give us that feeling good feeling. And it often happens through the sensual pleasures, through our food and, and through um, things that we touch and things we wear and, and things we have around us and people, people who make us feel good. And, and we were looking for this good feeling. But after some time, we recognize it's still not enough. It's not enough. It's, it, we're not, we, still, we find ourselves continuing to seek, continuing to search feeling some kind of unfulfillment, unhappiness. And so this, this longing, this, 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 this pull, this drive to find this happiness is very sincere for us. And so we come to these spiritual teachings, we come to this path, and there's, there's so much offered here, there's so much for us that, that can help us, that can support us to find our way. So we can begin to let go, let go of ways that we're holding on, that we see give, gives rise to our pain, to our suffering. One of the reflections that we may start to ask is, what would happen if I begin to let go of some of these old habits, these patterns? What would happen? We start to become curious. We start to trust being a little bit more open, allowing. We begin to receive more of what's here. I want to read this from uh, David White, who is this uh, wonderful poet, teacher. Some of you probably are aware of his reflections. He really touches me very deeply uh, when I listen to his words. And this is from one of David's teachings. He says, You start to realize after a while that the consuming wish for safety and security is the wish to hold yourself from the frontier experiences of your own life. There's nothing wrong with security and safety in their right place with our families and all the rest, but the individual human path and pilgrimage is a radical journey of encounter and appearance and disappearance. And if you take the understandings of safety too literally throughout your life, then you'll be unwilling to die at the appropriate moments and disappear. And you lose your sense of courage also, because when things get difficult, instead of leaping towards the center of the flame itself, you're looking for a place away from the heat. So some encouragement here to leap. And this letting go, letting go of our habitual strategies that do keep provide us a sense of safety and security, but sometimes we, we do need to leap, and here David says, towards the center of the flame itself instead of looking for a place away from the heat. I'm sure some of you have already felt that today. And we'll begin, you know, we'll continue in our, in our inquiry to explore the ways that we are looking for a place away from the heat. And of course that's fine to do that. And yet we're just wanting to bring consciousness to the ways that we do that. So it doesn't become more just habitual response. He continues, he says, There's a way that we should be eaten by life that we should be absolutely consumed by it. There's nothing worse than getting to your deathbed and finding that you've been gummed to death. You've never been able to give yourself over to the teeth of existence. That you've been gummed to death. Interesting metaphor. You've never been able to give yourself over to the teeth of existence. It's almost like we need to get, you know, be chewed up and spit out, you know, something new, something fresh, not this old, recycled way of being. He says, your own life, I feel, is a very fierce thing to follow because it's constantly leading you into larger and larger imaginative territories for which you feel you're unprepared in which you enter almost as a child, no matter what time in your life you've gotten to. If you're truly following your life and your path, a part of you will always feel like you are a child in a new world. If you are truly following your life and your path, a part of you will always feel like you are a child in a new world. You will be unprepared. How can we possibly be prepared for something that is unknown and uncertain, which is the next moment? The next moment, this moment, this moment, as it's manifesting, we are totally unprepared. And this is what's true. And we feel that insecurity. We feel that vulnerability. And and, and this is hopefully more and more we, we learn how to tolerate that insecurity. We first become aware of it. We, we recognize it. We can acknowledge it. And then we learn how to tolerate it to be able to find some Stability within our body, our being, our consciousness, our presence, that we can stay steady in the face of that insecurity. Because that's what's true when we're not creating all of these imaginary worlds to protect ourselves from feeling what's true. Things will come and go that is the nature of this life. Where is Joni? Joni Mitchell. Joni Mitchell, the wonderful artist, songwriter. She says, everything comes and goes marked by lovers and styles of clothes. Everything comes and goes. Recently... Maybe you've heard, maybe you haven't heard, but in California, in Southern California, there were lots of fires. There's been so many fires. And fires that have been burning up very expensive mansions and homes of wealthy people and and just coming in and sweeping it all away, just cleansing the, the, the earth again, bringing it back to its undeveloped, State, and many people, you know, great, great loss. And I have, I was a woman who I uh, spend, I mentor, I, I guide, young woman, and she came to me a few months ago, and she told me that she had just been with her parents in, uh, in Southern California where she grew up, and her family home had been. Pretty much burnt to the ground where she grew up, and she was with her parents, her parents um, were in the, were, were living there and when the fire was sweeping down, they were evacuated and then they lost everything and now have to start all over again after some thirty years of living in the house and her, and she was telling me about that experience and how it was for her and she went back to the, the where the house the house was, and the, seeing the land all around. And there was still some um, of the structure, some of the beams uh, that were still left. But yet the walls had all burnt away. And so she said she stood in the place where her bedroom was, where she spent her childhood. And she looked around, and she could see through the walls. And she could see the landscape beyond, in each direction, of where she had actually grown up. And she stood there, and she said that it was a real surprise by the way she felt. Because with the walls open, and seeing all around the landscape, she said she felt completely liberated and free like she had been let out of a cage and now things were free again. That she wasn't in this confined space of the room, which clearly provided a great deal of safety and security while she was growing up and certainly for her family. But in that moment, in that moment of standing in the spot with things burnt away and that openness, seeing the landscape of the hills and the... the, the grass and the the field, she felt free. Let, you know, something released, unburdened, totally unexpected, very surprised. And so there was something in her that then when she was with her parents and when she was uh, talking to them and with them during this very, very tragic and difficult time, there was something that was very freed up in her. And she could be there in a very different way. Of course there was grief as well, sense of loss, but in that, some very unexpected feeling. And so we're we're seeing if we can enter into this moment, this unformed, unknown, unmanifest moment, well, of course, all the conditions that have gone before come into this present moment, but it's all here in this new and fresh way. And to see what is being born. What is being born in this moment? And as this passes away, the next thing is born. And then this, is, this passes away, and the next thing is born. And can we be here for this? For this, this show? This is from um, Jennifer Wellwood. who's a very, uh, uh, I don't want to say old practitioner, a serious practitioner, somebody who's been practicing in the Buddha Dharma for a very long time, wrote this little poem. She says, Willing to experience aloneness, I discover connection everywhere. Turning to face my fear, I meet the warrior who lives within. Opening to my loss, I gain the embrace of the universe. Surrendering into emptiness, I find fullness without end. Each condition I flee from pursues me. Each condition I welcome transforms me and becomes itself transformed. Transformed becomes transformed into its radiant, jewel-like essence. So, this is just the beginning. We're just beginning. Whether you've been doing this a long time, whether you're just starting this for the first time, we're just beginning. Because every moment... It's this new beginning. And as we open to this, as we allow this, there's the possibility that we begin to live our life in this fresh way. Because then there really isn't this thing called life, you know, which can seem like a huge thing from beginning to end. there's only this moment. This moment is our life. This moment. So, since this moment is my life, can I be here for it? Because I don't know if I'm going to get another opportunity in the next moment, because nothing is for sure. So, this is the invitation to you, to us for these next few days we have together. Let's just sit for a few moments together. Right now, before I ring the bell, noticing what's happening in your experience. Are you feeling grounded, connected in your body, breath, sounds, present moment, and then the bell.